Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, Mike, we're going to be focusing on the life of Joseph. That's the Joseph who married Mary. Oh, actually, I'm not sure whether he married her. I mean, yeah. tell, tell me, what, what, what's the story of Joseph? Yes, he absolutely did uh, marry her. Although when we first come across Mary and Joseph in the scriptures, they are not married, but they are, well, we would call it today engaged, but the technical term was they were betrothed. Now, betrothal in Jewish custom at this time was was quite different to uh, engagement today. Betrothal was a legally binding contract that preceded marriage. Normally, marriage partners were chosen by parents in those days, so that almost certainly is what would have happened here. And a, a contract is drawn up between the parents that Joseph would marry Mary. And it was normally a year ahead from the drawing up of the betrothal contract to the actual marriage. And that gave a year to prepare and for the guy to go and, you know, build his house and normally build the extension onto the family house and get ready. And a year later, uh, he would come uh, with his mates and uh, take his wife to be, and they would have this quick ceremony and, and go home. So they're, they're actually betrothed right. at this point. But, of course, the fact that they are betrothed and not married is really significant in the story because, again, in the culture of the time, during that period of betrothal, the couple had no sexual relationships. Now, I know in Western culture, for some people, that is like just like weird and on a different planet, but this is really how life was. Actually, it's how life's supposed to be for any Christian couple before they marry. The word of God's pretty clear. And so here is this couple committed to one another to be married and no sexual relationships between them. And suddenly Joseph is confronted with something that made the bottom of his world fall out. He discovers that his wife is pregnant. Wife-to-be. His wife-to-be. Thank you for correcting me at that point. <laughs> I'm glad you're listening, David. <laughs> well, indeed, talk about the bottom of his world falling out because this, this, this promise to become married and the commitment with the families. So, well, talk about embarrassment. Yes, embarrassment, um, anger, disappointment. This was the woman that he was going to spend the rest of his life with. And, you know, people weren't stupid in the first century. They knew as well as we do where babies come from. And there was only one way that Mary could have got pregnant in Joseph's thinking. She'd clearly been with another man. And yet he deeply, deeply loved this woman. By the way, Joseph may have been quite a bit older than Mary. We're not 100% sure, but it's interesting as the gospel story unfolds, Joseph disappears from the scene pretty quickly. Looks like he may have died uh, early, he certainly died much earlier than Mary. So he, he could have been somewhat older. And if, if he had been, then maybe the heartbreak would have been even greater. So he's completely desolate that this woman he loves is suddenly pregnant with, to his mind, someone else's baby. 
So what's his what's his reaction? What what does he want to do as a sort of gut gut reaction? Well, what he could have done is he could have divorced her because betrothal was as binding as marriage. And normally the way to break it in Jewish culture of that time would have been to issue a divorce certificate. But of course, the minute he issues a divorce certificate, there's scandal and Mary now carries that for the rest of her life. She carries that shame. But the gospel tells us that because Joseph was a godly man, he decided quietly to, again, it uses the term divorcer, but in our terms, he decided quietly to to break the engagement. So he doesn't want to far seek. And again, it's a reflection of how much he must have loved this woman because he's still trying to protect her we're at building this stage. A, we're building up a portrait of the kind of person he was. I think we are. Um, godly, loyal, steadfast, faithful, um, trying to do things right in life. Did he come from good stock? Yes, he came from some of the best stock. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke show us that both Joseph and the woman he was about to take as his wife, Mary, Jesus's mother, were both descendants of King David. Matthew, scholars think, records the line of descent through Joseph and Luke records the one to, to Mary. So they, they've, they've got good pedigree, shall we say. But that doesn't take away, you know, good pedigree in itself doesn't make the person. The person has to make the person. And clearly this was a guy who had just given himself to, to godly ways and just doesn't want to shame the woman that he loves. And so he makes plans to divorce her, to end this relationship. And that's what could have happened. It could, but one of these blessed angels keeps popping up. In fact, the whole of the beginning of the Gospels, it's like after years and years of silence, 440 years of silence, we said in a previous episode, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. And suddenly there's there's an outbreak of prophetic activity. Suddenly there's an outbreak of, of angels, messengers from God appearing. And while he's reflecting on actually how should he go about this, the gospel tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So it was clearly it's a dream rather than a reality, but it must have been very, very vivid. And it says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, I imagine his wheels must have been turning in his mind at that point before the angel even got any further. But the angel goes on to say, she will have a son, you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then when Joseph woke up, it says, it's it's just this short sentence. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but did not have sexual relationships with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. It's like skips on in the story. But what incredible faith, this guy who's often in the background. You often think Joseph, he's he's the guy like in the child's nativity play, you know, he's there centre stage, you know, and everybody wants their Johnny to to play him. But really it's like he, he doesn't get this big part, but he does get a big part. It's just not 
perhaps way up in front, but had, I mean, consider this, had Joseph not responded in the right way, who knows how the story might have turned out. He wakes up and this this dream, this vision must have been so vivid, so clear, because instantly the plan he's got of divorcing her, putting her to one side, is over. And the next thing we know is he brings forward that stage that would have normally been a year ahead. He brings it forward rapidly, brings it forward rapidly, presumably to make it look like this child that is conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, and we'll look at that in a future episode, that this child is his child. What thoughtfulness again. You know, here's this guy wanting to protect Mary. He, He doesn't want the gossips going around the village. And as Mary begins to show and it becomes clear that she's carrying, um, he wants it to be clear that this child is his child, even though he knows it's the most incredible, miraculous gift from God child. There are certainly echoes of a previous episode when we were talking about John the Baptist and, and, and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, and actually that was all happening at a similar time. Yes, just a few months earlier. Um, than this. So these stories overlap. That story is about three months a- ahead of of this one. Mm. You mentioned Joseph in the Nativity play. He doesn't have a line very often. In fact, does the Bible record anything that Joseph says? Well, do you know what? You may have caught me out there, but I'm 99% certain that the answer is no. Um, probably 99.9% certain. But when people ask me questions like that, I, I always like to check. But no, he he is there. He's he's in the brand. He's referred to quite often uh, ab- about Joseph is uh, that he was a, well, the traditional word is a carpenter, isn't he? Hmm. Joseph the carpenter, the carpenter of Nazareth. Though actually the Greek word that's used in the New Testament doesn't really mean carpenter in the sense that we understand a carpenter. Certainly, right, like, like a joiner. A or joiner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in right. Britain today, a carpenter is a joiner. You know, he makes door frames and things. Whereas uh, the word that's used in the Greek, a tectone, really is what we call the sort of the small builder. You know, the guy who comes around and he can refit your bathroom or put you a door in or make you something in wood or do a bit of building. So the description is tectone, you say? It's a tectone is the Greek word. It's what in America they would call he's in construction work, which Mm. normally involves a whole variety. And, of course, in a small place like Nazareth, maybe a couple of hundred people or so would have lived there, um, you couldn't have made just a living just making doors or tables for people. So they would have given their hands, and I say they because he would have trained up Jesus as he grew, of course. That's what Jewish fathers did with their boys, trained them up in the business. So he he was a builder. He was in construction work. Mm. Um, Very practical person, um, used his hands. It's interesting, isn't it, just the word you use there, uh, a practical person, and it's like his faith is incredibly practical as well. you know, I've met people like that over the years. People, well, God said it, so I better do it, hadn't he? You know, whereas many of us sort of God said it, so I better think about this and work it out and have a, you know, twelve days praying and fasting. And 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 Joseph does seem to be this incredibly practical person uh, who makes not pragmatic decisions because pragmatic so often means oh it fits the circumstance, but very 
practical decisions. And it's interesting, he's a, an incredibly practical man in his life as well. And we should expect that. Why? Because we're one whole person, you know, body, soul, mind, spirit. God has made us and he's given each of us different characters and ways. It's interesting, you know, bearing in mind what we were saying about uh, the fact that the Bible apparently doesn't record anything that he said. So he's actually known for his actions rather than for anything he said. That's incredibly powerful, isn't it, when you think about that, to be known for your actions uh, rather than your words. Probably we're in a culture in the West where we're so used to people's words because they're shared quickly, aren't they, through the various social media and various platforms. But to be someone who's known for your actions, as many other characters actually we'll look at as we come to the New Testament, is an incredibly godly thing. And I'm sure there are many listeners out there who think, oh, I'm not very good at speaking, really. I could never get up and give a message. And I, I always feel I don't share the gospel very well. But to be someone like Joseph, who is immensely practical and show your faith by what you do and how you live and how you treat people, just like he treated Mary, is an incredibly godly thing. We're still focused on the sort of Christmas story, I suppose, and and the um, the journey what from from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You know, what 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 do we know about Joseph's sort of part that he played? Well, he has to go from Nazareth, where they're living, to Bethlehem. Why? Because the emperor, the Roman emperor, decides that he wants a census of his whole empire. Now, there was only one reason they wanted a census. That is, they wanted to know how many people they got because how many people is how much tax can I get and how much money do I have to spend. And so they have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Why? Because you had to go back to your family town, your family birthplace. And, of course, being descended from David, both of them needed to go back to Bethlehem where Jesus came from. Roughly how far is that and, 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 and indeed what sort of journey? Well, it, it's about 90 miles or so as the, the crow flies, but of course roads weren't always easy in those days. And when you're thinking about a difficult journey and a heavily pregnant woman, this, this was not an easy journey to make. I, I don't think they would have blessed the emperor uh, greatly that day. But they had to make that journey to fulfil the conditions of the census. And they arrive in Bethlehem, that same place where David had come from. Isn't it interesting? The descendant, the son of David, would also end up being born there. They arrive in Bethlehem just as Mary is about to give birth. Um, and sadly, find there's very little, very few places where they can stay. Joseph, being a practical person, like we said, obviously <laughs> wants to be as helpful as he can. You know, he's a father to be, of course. Yes, he does, and uh, you know, they they take appropriate steps. Though so we're probably going to have to pop one of those bubbles of the sort of uh, Christmas story here again, because of course, where is Jesus born? Well, as we all know, he's born in the manger, laid in the manger, in the stable. And it it's probably not that. Because, again, the word that Luke uses in his gospel when it says there was no room for them in the, traditionally no room for them in the inn, 
really doesn't mean that at all. It really means there was no room for them in the guest room. Oh. Now, think the whole family is gathering at Bethlehem for this census. Everybody's turning up. You live in a small, probably one-up, one-down type house. In fact, many of the homes were single room with just a raised platform at the far end where the beds were put and the livestock often kept at the front. So what the story probably is telling us, not that it's absolutely not there was no room at the inn. So sorry, we're going to have to get rid of all those (laughs) Christmas nativities, aren't we, or at least restage them. Probably means there's no room in the guest room. There was no room in the house at all. So either they have to do one of two things. They either have to make Mary a quiet corner in that lower portion of the house where the animals would have been kept, or perhaps a little more likely, and I've been to Bethlehem and seen these, there are loads of caves all around where shepherds used to shelter Mm -hmm. from the bitterly cold wind. And it may well have been that it was in one of those that Joseph makes a snug place, hey, incredibly good at keeping heat in, of course, A manger put some clean straw in it. So here's the incredibly practical guy again, uh, making sure that his wife and his son-to-be are cared for as they turn up. And it's while they're there, while they're in Bethlehem, that his son is born. And so you indicated that they would be perhaps back with with family. That's where they they came from, where the descendants uh, were from. So they they would have had sort of family around. It might have even been a a family home that they were staying in. Absolutely. So, again, the trouble is so many of us come to the Bible with pictures we've had elsewhere that we then impose on the Bible. Mm. And because we've all grown up with the nativity scene and the nativity story, we take that and impose it on the text. But if we start with the text, it's pretty clear. It wasn't an inn. It does look like it was in a family context, but there just wasn't room in the guest room. Maybe everyone else had arrived and they'd all got kids and everything else. So the picture of sort of lonely Joseph and Mary may really be quite wrong and certainly just doesn't fit the culture at the time. Times like this, were times when the whole family were around and certainly when times when the whole village or the whole town would have been around. Are you now going to spoil my Christmas even more because I'm imagining the wise men turning up with their gifts? Yeah, well, I'm probably going to spoil it. That The shepherds, you can keep those. And, of course, if they were in one of those caves, the shepherds absolutely would have turned up. And the shepherds and the wise men, the magi, these... Uh, guys from the east, probably a mixture of astrologer come astronomer who through consulting their own charts, isn't it amazing that, you know, while God says don't do things like horoscopes and astrology, still lets them do their thing and still be led to this. But it probably wasn't at that time. The wise men seem to have come later in the story And it talks about them coming to visit Jesus in the house. Again, if you look at the text carefully. So was it some weeks later when the family have done their registering and they've all dispersed and suddenly there's room now in the family house for Mary and Joseph to move to after all? 
So you can you can keep the wise men. We probably just have to relocate them a little bit, David. Okay. You can have Christmas crackers, though. <laughs> I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that there are so few references to Joseph in in many respects, and that he is very much in the background. Yes, he is not one of the guys way up front. Interesting, in the previous episode, we were talking about John the Baptist, who played second fiddle to Jesus. Here's yet another example of someone who is in the background of the story. And we don't get to see an awful lot yet. Had he not played the part that he played, the story could have turned out quite different. In fact, between the what we know as the Christmas stories, um, and later on in the gospel, we we find very little about Joseph. In fact, the next place where we come across him, um, so we've we've had his visitation of the angel dream about the birth of Jesus. He had a second dream, by the way, when God directed them to go down to Egypt for a little season to be uh, protected there, and then a third dream when. He was directed to go from Egypt where they had gone once Herod the Great had died and to come back, but to settle in Nazareth uh, and and not in Judea. So we get those little glimpses into this man. And again, the fact he had three dreams, although this was a practical guy, he must have been incredibly sensitive to God. You know, as a pastor, I've discovered very often practical people put themselves down as not being very spiritual, and yet they can be incredibly spiritual. It's just not shaped in the way that they think spirituality is expressed. But here's this guy who has these three dreams at key times, acts upon them each time, and had he not done so, the story would have been different. So back he goes to Nazareth. After what is quite a journey, I've just realised when you've said from the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, to Egypt, that isn't just round the corner. No. And then from Egypt to Nazareth in the north, that's not round the corner. Not at all. I mean, it probably would have taken at least 10 to 14 days journey in those days to do that sort of distance. Uh, you know, you're limited, you've got a young baby, you keep having to stop to, mm. you know, whatever they did, change the nappy or feed him in those days. So, you know, this this would have been a, a long journey, and here's this guy who's faithfully providing all the practicalities, and eventually they get back to Nazareth, and there he trains Jesus in the family business. Um, as a local builder. As the local builder. Um, we do know at this time there's a city that was being developed hugely that's not mentioned in the New Testament, a city called Sepphoris. It was just a couple of miles down the road from Nazareth. So... Scholars think it's pretty likely that Jesus and Joseph would have walked that distance quite often because there was lots of work Mm -hmm. uh, to be found there. But really we don't find an awful lot uh, about him then until Jesus is 12 years old. A significant age. And do you remember there's the story of when they go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover? Now, they would have done that as good Jews every year, but we get this story when they went to Jerusalem. You used to do that sort of in family groups or in town groups. And so imagine like, you know, the church outing on the coach um, to go there and they go to celebrate and then they're coming back 
and they they sort of get separated as happens. You know, one's up front walking and one's at the back, and then eventually Mary and Joseph talk to one another and say, is Jesus with you? No, no, I thought he was with you. No, no, I, I last saw him with you. No, I've not got him. And suddenly that that dread panic that you can't find your child. It actually happened to me once when we lost one of our children in a major bookstore in the place where we were living. And there was dread panic that we couldn't find her and we put security on the door so no one could go. We eventually found her sitting inside one of the bookshelves looking at everyone. <laughs> but if any parents mm. ever lost a child for a moment, you'll know the dread panic mm. that comes. And I think imagine that in Joseph and Mary and they... They rush back to Jerusalem, and what do they do? They, they find him there talking with the religious leaders, with the teachers, asking them questions, not asking them questions to learn, asking them questions in the sense of drawing stuff out of them, challenging them. And Mary says, come on, son, you know, we were really worried about you. I'm sure he must have got a good telling off that day. And he just said, didn't you know, I had to be in my father's house. Interesting there at the age of 12. Jesus knew that while Joseph was his earthly father, there was another father to whom he was accountable. And that's really the last time that we hear about Joseph as they go back to Nazareth. Now, we know that Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was about 30 years of age, the scriptures tell us. So between the age of 12 there... Which is a significant age, isn't it? A significant uh, age. In, in, the, in the Jewish tradition. Yes, because at the age of 12, 13, that's when you become a son of the commandment, as they call it, when you are responsible for obeying God's word for yourself. You can no longer behind, hide behind your mother or father. You are now responsible for obeying God's word yourself. And from that point on to the age of 30, we hear nothing of Joseph. But what we think happened is he was there. He at some point probably died. And this is all scholars can say at this point. He probably died which would explain why Jesus, as the eldest child, carried on the business. Now, I know in some Christian traditions, Mary only had one child, and that was Jesus. But the gospel accounts themselves say that Jesus had other brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. though some Christian traditions interpret those as cousins. But if we take the New Testament evidence at face value that there were other brothers and sisters that were born after Jesus's birth in the normal way, then if Joseph died early, Jesus was now the head of the family. He was responsible for running the business, keeping the money coming in until some of those other children were old enough to take over. And was it around about 30 when he felt I have now fulfilled my family responsibilities. And Father says to him, Father in heaven says, Son, now is the time to do the work for which I sent you to this earth. Just remembering again what you said about the fact that Jesus was 12 when the family went to Jerusalem. And it was at that point in his life when his own father, Joseph, would have had a, a different approach, is that right, to, to, to the relationship within the family. 
I want. I just wonder whether because he's twelve, that's when Joseph starts to disappear into the background. Yeah, that he realizes Jesus is now well equipped and is standing on his own feet. The fascinating thing, of course, is, and we're simply not told this. What role did Joseph and Mary have in Jesus's life in those years about which we're told nothing? Now, both Joseph and Mary clearly knew who Jesus was. They'd had angelic visitations to tell them. They'd watched their son grow. They didn't just sit on that, I'm sure, until the moment when Jesus started preaching. There must surely have been some preparation between Joseph and Jesus, between Mary and Jesus' son. You you do know there's a special call on your life, don't you? And perhaps little by little, unfolding it to him because Luke's very careful to tell us that that Jesus grew in every aspect. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and in favor with man. He grew physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. And as he developed, surely his understanding of who he was developed. And I think his mum and dad must have played a role in that because they knew they'd been told right at the beginning. Though, of course, we're not told anything about that. Those are the silent years. Mm. But what the Bible does tell us about Joseph, what do you draw from that about his life? I think he's an incredibly godly example of a practical man. As a pastor, over the years, I've known many people who are just really, really practical in their faith, and they're always the ones to put themselves down as not being very spiritual. And I so often say to them, you know, the way you make cakes, the way you go and fix things in people's homes, that is so godly, that is so spiritual. So for me, Joseph shouts out with this message of, If you feel you are, quotes, just practical, don't put yourself down. Being practical can be just as spiritual as the person who spends all day praying. And had it not been for this very practical man, well, who knows how the Christmas story might have ended up unfolding. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.